0: Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your producer and host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the creator and gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. The new year starts with the 101, or the beginner guide, for NFTs, blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and all those metaverse and Web3 topics we keep hearing about. We are all going back to school on Culture Factor to understand this decentralized economy. From creator coins to the tax implications of selling crypto, let's unpack these emerging technologies in really simple terms. Join me and feel free to send in your questions. Would your brand like to sponsor Culture Factor? It is your opportunity to be a part of a podcast that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 89 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com. Subscribe to Culture Factor and share with a friend now. Okay, let's start with our class. Let's get our next guest on. Hello, everybody. I am your producer and host for Culture Factor, my podcast. And today I'm here with Brooke J. Lacey, who is a technologist, an NFT development consultant, a tech educator, a crypto investor, and a TikTok creator with over 300,000 followers and a lot of viral content with millions, like 4.5 million uh, likes on some of her content. So you definitely need to check her out over there. Um, I met Brooke here um, in Clubhouse talking about NFTs and crypto. And what I love most about her is actually she's a champion of women NFT artists and developers. And um, I believe that they need her in their corner because this new Web3 world is dominated by men already. In fact, 81% are men. So um, having Brooke command the stage, as she always does with Grace, um, and having her here today. Um, is really a gift for me. I'm really happy she's here on Culture Factor and here to educate us. And welcome, Brooke.
1: Holly, you are such a gem. Thank you for having me. You are everything right about NFT curiosity. You're doing it exactly the way that it should be done, which is just asking the questions, learning from it, moving forward, and taking this to the masses. So I'm really proud of you and, and
0: just grateful to know you. Oh, see, she is a champion of women. I knew I had <laughs> pick the right person.
1: <laughs> Always. That 81% is a massive, massive amount. Even when, you know, over the last 30 years being in tech, I don't think I've ever experienced anything that uh, drastic, right? It's usually been like maybe 70-30 or, you know, 60-40 obviously it's never been equal and there's no reason for that. Like, you know, there's certain things that, that men enjoy more than women, right? Like it, it just really depends on which path you want to take, but that's a massive, massive uh, difference in, in, you know, men to women ratio in a, an environment, a tech environment. So I just want to change it in the sense of we bring a much different perspective in a much different way of, um, of looking at, uh, technology and engineering and, and then especially in the NFT space, the nurturing, uh, ability. So there's a lot of fear and what do they call it? FUD, right? Fear and, um, everything that, that you hear about, I think we, as women just look at it differently and, um, maybe come to it as a more, calm, right? Like we're just a little more calm and understanding and, um, going through it a little bit more, um, just, you know, as a a little motherly, right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my, my plan is to fill the
0: streets with, with female developers. I love that. I, I, you know, I, think that there should be a balance. There should be everybody involved in different, in, in this new web three. I don't have any problem with that, but I think, um, a diversity of voice. And I keep saying voice because I, I think it should be open to everybody. I just think there should be a lot of everybody, different people. Um, and I think it'll, it'll change the, the landscape if we can just get more people involved. Um, aside from that, what I, what I wanted to do actually is I kind of wanted to go back in time and you, you started to go there. So I want to lean in a little bit, um, and share that, you know, obviously you had an education in the tech space and, um, the landscape today is still pretty small with women in STEM, but I have to believe you said like maybe 30 years ago. So 20, 30 years ago, it was minuscule. Um, but you were in it. So what was it like? You know,
1: this is always an interesting conversation. I will always, I I always love talking about this because, you know, I'm not that old. I'm 45. However, you know, things have gone so quickly, um, over, you know, this sort of short time span, you know, in the early nineties, when I was in junior high and high school, like there was no computers in, in the high schools. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have any at, at the house that that's crazy. Um, and so in high school, sort of my formative years, the Gen Xers, I think we had we had it really, really good because we we have the best of both worlds. We grew up and, you know, kicking rocks down the street, um, and having like the plastic phones on the wall, you know, that that hopefully had enough cord to, you know, get around the the <laughs> corner, you know. And so when I was 16 years old so that was 1992 I had an after school job I lived in the suburbs of Chicago and um it, they wheeled in this this you know huge beige like you know Windows 3.1 machine and I just I was in awe like it did what I told it to do it it didn't talk back to me it didn't hit me it didn't wasn't disappointed in me you know when that came about it was like I just, I loved the solitude and the, you know, elegance of the code. And, and it spoke to me the way that, you know, I always thought I was so different and you know seeing things in code and, um, and understanding things on a much like logical level than what I was bring you know, in my, you know, early childhood, what was given to me, you know, was very confusing. So when computers came along, it was like, this is what speaks to me. And so I went to college and, at Northern Illinois University and said, I want to take every computer class I can get my hands on, you know, just give them all to me. And so that started 1998 or whenever that was, no, it was 95. And the difference is because people keep thinking that, that it's like gotten worse or that it was worse back then. But back then we were all just so excited about um, being in tech. And so you know, at at college, there was no computers in our dorm rooms. There was a computer lab on campus that we all went to. And I never really noticed, at least at the time, I don't think I noticed that there was more, you know, that I was the only girl. I wasn't there. We were all excited about it all at the same time. It was a a very community driven, um, you know, ecosystem, I guess. So we're all in the computer lab. We're all, you know, writing this code to make Pong style games and super excited about it. And, um, you know, staying up all night, the the computer lab was open 24 hours. It never, ever occurred to me for years and years that this was a quote unquote man's world. It's just what I wanted to do. And I was passionate about it. And I know a lot of women in tech kind of felt the same way. They're like, wait, what? There was a problem. Like what problem? (laughs) We don't see a problem. So I think, I think that that's just kind of, evolved over time for whatever reason, whatever the, the social impact of, um, being in technology, you know, that's where the problem came in. Not necessarily that, um, we're treated worse or, and, and again, maybe it's because my personality just, I just never saw it. I just walked into a room and, and did what I wanted to do in a respectful way, but I never really saw the, the, the issues until now, like over the last few years of, you know, and I I think women just need to know more about the fact that there's all these careers out there. There's all this information. And, you know, we've talked about, you even put it on here, financial independence. Um, You know, back then, we just wanted to be involved with tech. Little did we know that was the career to be in um, to have financial independence. I think in 1998, I did my internship with Sears Roebuck, you know, at the Sears Tower. And, it was on on a replenishment system. I was one of like twenty-five people that got the job out of like nineteen hundred or you know, two thousand applicants. It was this huge deal. They paid us like fifteen dollars an hour, which nineteen ninety-eight was a lot of money. Gave us a corporate apartment, a company car, the whole thing. Like <laughs> it was wild. And I thought to myself, this is what, you know, this is what people need to do is get a technology degree and then they can do anything else. And I've been preaching that for 30 years. So,
0: And, and then you find yourself like sitting in this new web three conversation, um, which is like obviously a natural transition for you. I'm, um, If, you know, just because, you know, this is educational to a certain extent on, on the show. I mean, I love the stories and I want to, I'm actually going to dig deeper to, to find out a little bit more about you, but just at the top of this, as we were moving into this web three conversation, can you give a description, uh, you know, web three, blockchain, NFTs, their intersection, I realize it's hard to distill it down. But if you can just describe them, but then give them a little context, because we could all go on line and type in the word NFT, and it's gonna say non fungible token, but it doesn't mean anything to people. Um, so can you do that?
1: Right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that this, this absolutely goes to the differences with, you know, men and women in our educational styles. And the fact that, you know, breaking this down is more of an emotional, sort of uh, ethereal sense. Web three is a is a perspective. It isn't it isn't a black and white system. It's a perspective. It's a way of 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 life. So, blockchain and NFTs and and um, cryptocurrency and all this is a paradigm shift, and that's pretty much what everyone needs to understand is is that when all of when society changes right when like when the industrial revolution came about and the combustion engine was created I don't think anything's ever invented it's discovered and created you didn't need to know how the combustion engine worked you just had to know how to drive the car and and over time over history these exact things happen over and over and it's usually because of some sort of social issue whether it's war or you know we're always solving problems and so the problem was the 2008 financial crash that was the problem and so out of that came the you know bitcoin blockchain the white paper all of that because it was a it was a solution to a problem it was it was one of the Proposed solutions to a problem, and now we see that happening over and over. It's going fast this time. You know the dip, the distance between like the industrial revolution and and you know when all this went through um, was fairly long, and now ten years later, things are just going so quickly. So NFTs and this world that we're in right now, and and everyone's talking about, is no different than the. The '90s, when the dot com boom happened, when you know everybody wanted a piece of it, it's very scarce, it's very exciting, and there's nothing wrong with that. We are human beings; that is how we operate, and we go from one thing to the next, and then we keep solving problems, and we come together as a as a community, as a global um, community, and we we try to solve these problems, whether it, it causes discourse or not. That's what this is. NFTs are a solution to a problem it's a solution to ownership and on the digital side of things and we can just make everything digital because if, if anybody thinks that they're you know not living 100 digitally you know they're they're wrong we we are digital uh, at this point and so this solves a problem and that is ownership and um immutability and you know not be, being able to be um taken advantage of, there's, there's always going to be a problem and there's always going to be someone out there, um, trying to create the solution. And that's truly what I believe all of this is. It, it isn't just JPEGs flying around the the internet. Um, and for, for people that do sort of, you know, turn their nose down at things really just don't understand it. And that's okay. That's what we're doing. We're trying to educate. Um, but I also feel like, you know, I'm not going to be able to teach anybody anything unless they want to be taught. I've been on TikTok for two years and some of the most viral videos were me explaining about blockchain and nobody understood it. And it went, you know, it kind of went by the wayside and there was a lot of arguing in the comments like, what even is this? So you can't really, th- we need this. We as technologists, we need this hype because now we can say, okay, now now I've got this this tool, these NFTs. Now I've got this cool tool, which is like a collectible, a a cabbage patch doll, a, uh, a baseball card that I can now explain blockchain with. Because it's easier to explain it than to say, you know, blockchain is like a ledger and it's distributed peer to peer and you're like asleep, right? Now we have this really cool tool called NFTs that everybody you know wants to get in on and you know if it was easy everybody would be doing it so we have to remember that's why it's scarce that's why there's value to it because it's what everybody wants but not everyone can have.
0: Very interesting the way you put that together so uh, I want to I want to tap in a little so you went into TikTok talking about it Cause you recognized that that was the best way to share the education on it. So how are you like, let's talk about like your viral videos on about NFTs. What are you saying? How are you saying it that it's finally like being um, listened to on that platform? Okay. So let's talk about TikTok
1: <laughs> and the, Success and failure of content there. And let's also say that everyone is different. I have been successful on TikTok because of my innate personality, my expressive face right my voice the way that I'm able to deliver a line so it's not just because I teach on something there's lots of people that that teach um that provide educational content on TikTok and are not successful so it isn't necessarily just that I you know that I talk about these new things and um you know and get get all these viral videos right like most of them let's be honest are me ogling shirtless lumberjacks or I duet like f- other funny videos. There's 15 million video views on the hashtag BrooksLaugh. So I just want to be really clear that like I've amassed that following because I I make people laugh and I love to do that. And I I, I want to create a community that way. So you get them to, you know, to know you as your authentic self and then you can start talking about the things you're passionate about. Um, So my content is not 100% uh, tech and crypto, but there is quite a bit of it. So in terms of educating about like crypto and technology, my tactic has been to really give that like overall generalization of, uh, just like I'm saying here, like, you know, explaining about the industrial revolution, the paradigm shift and not getting into the nuts and bolts because you lose people. So when it comes to, so, for example, that that video that I don't know it has like seven hundred thousand views, which in the TikTok world isn't necessarily a huge amount. But for me sitting at my desk with no music, uh, you know, just me speaking to the camera, telling people about blockchain and companies that are investing in blockchain technology that you should actually invest in those companies. Uh, for that to to go off like that is is kind of wild. Um, and then of course everybody wants to know about this this thing called blockchain, which a bunch, I would say 90% of the comments and the people interested misunderstood blockchain for Bitcoin. And so they kept, you know, there was a lot of confusion. And that was my market research to know, this is how I'm going to educate going forward is explaining these things on a really super basic level. So last year, um, when like CryptoKitties and this all happened, I recognized that I was going to have a responsibility to people to explain this in in a way that they can understand. So I just do these funny things. Like, can you guys believe that these crypto kitties like sold, you know, just like everybody talks about, they joke about it. And that's the best way to educate people is make them do this have to do with them. Right. They don't want to go buy a crypto kitty. They don't care about that, but they would love to laugh about it. So we're going to laugh about it. And then it kind of went from there. And, um, you know i've been a part of a bunch of projects that um that i was sort of slated to do some like help them with tiktok and it just never really panned out because it's not the same type of content that that does well for me so it always boils down to the education of it i've only done two videos so far um that have anything to do with projects that like i'm a part of and really they're just friends that I really like their stuff and I use them as educational tools. So my friend, Emily Lazar did uh, a project and I absolutely love what she did. And so I used it as a funny, like back and forth. I I'm talking to my, myself essentially saying like, you know, making fun of it where I'm like, what's an NFT. And then the other side, it's like non fungible. And then it cuts off and the other, you know, my other character is like, oh, I know what the words are, but like, what is it? And it was great. It didn't, you know, it didn't go viral because again, what's in it. I'm not going to do a video that says like you can 10 X your money because that would have gone viral. Um, But as an investor and as someone who's not a financial advisor, um, I think it's very um, reckless to do any type of content that promises anybody anything like that. So that would definitely go off. Um, But everybody wants to know about making money. That's how. That's how we, we all operate and there's nothing wrong with it. So the video I did two or three days ago, I knew this would happen too. I have to be honest. Like everyone's like, Oh my God, did you know that would get, and I said, yeah, I I knew it because, um, so my son is a gamer and we upgraded his computer, had a very fancy, expensive graphics card. And I said, all right. Now you're going to go in there and you're going to figure out how to mine crypto, not Bitcoin. He, there's a, there's a thing called unminable. You could go on there and you can mine Solana Neo. Is he making thousands of dollars a week? No, he is learning the concept of utilizing the tools that you have to make money um, and to understand the value thing because we want to make sure that we, our assets like that are put into practice and you can use it for something. So, and, and not just gaming. And I said, all right, now figure out how to go on Twitch and live streams that you can make, you know, some ad, uh, sales. So it was a quick video where I was like, Hey everybody, do you want to know how my kid's making some money? And I, then I, you know, the next scene is me opening his door, which of course got people talking, right? Because they're like, that's the last time she'll just open the door without knocking. <laughs> it gets people talking. Like, do people not know that he was like waiting for, you know, like, this-
0: I know it was at, you, you, you had a little chat beforehand.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I go in and, and say like, hey, Broden, what you doing? You know, and he's like, I'm mining Neo. And then I left it at that. And I knew I knew it would go off because now everyone's arguing. They want to know about why, you know, he's even doing that. If it's just, you know, fu- pulling electricity and it's just wild. So it hit a million views yesterday. Does that do anything for me professionally? No. Is it fun? Is it a dopamine rush? Yes. I feel like for a long time I've, I've sort of cowered away from the TikTok star thing, the TikTok famous thing, because that isn't who I am. It's just a tool. It's just fun, you know. Walking in last year on on Thanksgiving to, um, to my friends like Friendsgiving, and you know they're all like, "What's up, TikTok famous?" I'm like, cringy, you know. Like that is not my legacy. Let me just tell you. not going to be my
0: legacy. <laughs> That's pretty funny. but you know what it, it's serving its purpose. I mean I I heard a description that you gave um, and I'm and I'm hopeful that uh, you can just do it here now. It was the difference between a coin, a token and an nFT and it was just so clear the way you explained it and I feel like when it's put in context, people understand it. Could you do that again? Do you know which one I'm talking about?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've done it a couple of times. Um, and I, I'm fairly certain I made a TikTok video about it as well. Um, so, again, I think the Gen X thing really works for a, a lot of us because we were there. And, of course, living in a city. So I, I took the bus for a long time. I lived in Chicago and didn't have a car. Had to take the bus all the time. Back then, there was tokens. Literally, that's what they're called. And so you have you have money, which is your your dime or your quarter, and that is the money that gets you the token, which then you have to use in order to utilize the services of the company. So you have to have their specific token to be able to, um, to use that service, to get on the bus. You have to tr- translate, transfer your money, your coins, into a token to get on the bus and use the service. Those things can be exchanged for things and you know you can use them for different buses, different bus lines, and you know, it goes from one to the other and not backwards. Um, I don't remember ever being able to exchange tokens for coins. Maybe you could, but you get the idea. And then when we get to NFTs, non-fungible tokens, it just means that there's a, another layer of ownership. It's, it's an asset that you get to call your own. Nobody had my name written on a token getting onto the bus. I just handed it to the bus driver and, and then it got recycled. It, technically, an N- NFT can be quote unquote recycled, um, but it's just not the, same, not the same way. So this is a, a, sol- a solution to an ownership problem. So we have the non-fungible token, which is you're not buying a JPEG. You're buying the code that says that JPEG is yours.
0: Well said. Thank you. Um, so regarding NFTs for those who are buying and selling, selling them, and I got this off of your video, by the way, how does, <laughs> how does one escape flip shame? <laughs> I do my research, right?
1: <laughs> oh boy. Like, I'm sure this is going to get me some, some backlash. Um, how do I keep this to, you know, only a half an hour? I'm just kidding. Um, I really feel very strongly about this because, and I, the name of this is financial independence, Bitcoin and blockchain. I am an investor. I am someone I get uh, actually like a little worked up because I, I believe that money and um, wealth whispers and that. You utilize it. It Can it could go both ways, right? Electricity can cook the dinner, and it can also cook the man. Money can be, uh, whatever they say, the root of all evil, and then the love of money, and and all of those things. But really, in general, wealth and and money give us the opportunity to do all of the other things that we want to do. And I get to travel and do all of the things that I want to do because I. Know how to make money. I've always been that way. I've always been independent since I was 16. And because of my tech background, I've always been able to, um, you know, take care of things. Even in my um, marriage, I was the breadwinner. I've always been okay. Of course, there's been times where it's been very, very difficult, but I've never had to rely on anyone else. And to me, that's financial independence. To me, when I work and when I do the things that I'm passionate about and I love that's financial independence. Doesn't mean I drive a a range Rover, um, used to, but now I respectfully, um, you know, it's like if you've ever seen Ozark now, I'm not going to drive an old beat up minivan, but you, you know that your money has to grow for you. So all that being, so I, I drive like a Honda cross tour and I, and I love it. Um, and you know, keep my expenses very, very low. Because your money should grow for you. So when we talk about flip shaming, because this is an investment, I think people don't talk about this enough. Getting into buying non-fungible tokens means that you are exchanging your hard-earned money for somebody's artwork or someone's uh, digital asset that they would like for you to purchase from them. You are buying a product. And if you are buying an investment product you are most likely hoping to see a return on that. Um, when I, you know, talk about cryptocurrency and the value of a dollar, you know, our dollar is collapsing. It's not a conspiracy. It it actually is a fact. Like, our, the the U.S. dollar is collapsing. And so cryptocurrency and having the, like, ability to increase your wealth in that sense, like, you know, the fact that it it accrues in value much faster than the U.S. dollar... That to me is exciting. I like money. (laughs) Like what it does. Nothing wrong with that. Right. So when you start buying NFTs, you're if you don't at least flip them for a profit and take the profit, then you're gonna go broke buying JPEGs. If you don't recognize or realize is really the better word. If you don't realize a profit once in a while, you are gonna go broke buying JPEGs. So what happens is that I've been seeing. And I'm really disappointed in this is these projects come along and it's just about the FOMO. It's just about the hype and whether or not you've got one or not. And, and really never says, Hey, we're really excited. If you, if you sell this for a profit, because well done you, you can go pay your rent this month and not be, you know, whatever the case may be, maybe you don't even say it at all, but to, to make it all about the holding is going to, I think, break down the ability for people to use this as an investment tool. So I I feel like that's flip shaming. If you want to flip your NFT then you go right ahead and do that. Um, I even have a private open sea because I'm worried about having, you know, because I'm so doxed that if anybody goes and finds the stuff that I'm flipping, you know, I'm going to get you know called out for not being loyal or something and that's not really what this is all about.
0: Well, especially if some of your purchases and NFTs were intentional right. investment opportunities and right. and how and that's what you're trying to share with people teaching them financial independence is well this is another way to do it. Like you right. can you can buy, you can collect for the love of a project or the art, but you could also buy with the intention of it being an investment and selling it. So I think that's exactly. so cool that you're showing both sides.
1: Exactly. The, I have a friend that just keeps buying NFTs. And I'm like, girl, I know you have the money, quote unquote, but you got to be real careful. These are these can increase and decrease in value very quickly. And then, of course, you've got the rug pull situation. So
0: explain rug pull. So, explain rug pull.
1: So I think the the best way that I heard the other day on Twitter was um, rug pulls can be two different things. It can be um, that the rug is pulled out from under you in the sense of like you buy something and then all of a sudden it goes away and you've lost all your money or that a bunch of shit is, is swept under the rug. And, you know, the project is still there, but you, you know, you're not getting what the roadmap says and you're not, you know, seeing a a gain and, you know, all of the things that they promised aren't happening. And so, um, again, we we see, you see this in everything in life. (laughs) We're just now all talking about this one thing. And so, um, and then on the other side too, because I am a developer. So most of the stuff that I do in this space is, um, connect people with, with NFT blockchain developers for their projects and advise on, on, uh, the tech for these projects. So there's also the rug pull of doing the development of the project and then not getting paid. And it's happening all over the place. That's why my free advice for any developer out there that wants to get their foot in the door, don't do anything for free ever. Um because you can't guarantee that you're going to get paid. So this is a service you're providing and it's one of the things that not everyone can do. You've made yourself an asset. It is a scarcity. Um and the supply and demand is is at a a crazy tilting, you know, point that there's there's a lot of demand for NFTs and not enough people who can actually do the code and do the work. So price yourself correctly because the rug pulling is alive and well with having somebody come in and do the work because they're just excited and they want to get their foot in the door. And then all of a sudden the founders and the art, you know, whoever it is uh, pull out and don't ever pay the developer.
0: Well, this is, this is actually just emulating startup culture. I mean, there's been so many, so many issues in the startup world because you know, there's, first of all, it's always hyped, whatever it is the person's creating, whether it's like a SaaS platform or product or whatever, there's all the hype, hype, hype. And then it's always like, you know, there's the camps are like, we're bootstrapping, come on board. None of us are getting paid. Um, You're not going to get paid now, but oh, the return later, you're going to get equity shares, blah, 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 blah. Um, And then it, it doesn't survive, um, right. You know, so the rug gets pulled out from underneath you because you did all that free work. Right. Um, and, and then the other side of that is they're less focused on their startup and they have this great idea they never execute on. They just talk about it and hype it up and get, you know, try and get funding um, and think that, OK, there's there's actually no value to the company whatsoever, but they're valuing it at some ridiculous amount. And that's why so many SPACs hit hit the ground you yes. know? So it's, it's the same thing.
1: It's the same thing. And when people start to look at into this and, and if, if somebody comes to me with a project and the first thing they say is we want to price it at this and we want to do this um, and look at how much money we can make. I immediately, I'm out the door faster than you can even blink. Um, because you, you're, people will value the project at whatever they're trying to price it at. And then how many, let's say generative pieces they have, let's say 10,000. So they start doing the math in their head and they're like, Oh my God, I can make $2.7 million. And I'm like, no, you can make $0. Your project is worth $0 and you have nothing (laughs) and you can't offer me 15% of nothing or whatever the, you know, offer is. So that's just something that I think a lot of people mistake is, it doesn't matter how good your product is unless you can sell it, unless there's somebody that wants to buy it. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's, it is definitely like the, the startups and and the dot coms in the nineties where it was, everything was speculated and, and pumped up. And that's when of course it comes crashing down. So a lot of us in this space are really focused on the longevity and the sustainability Doing long-term projects, whether it's gamification or staking or tokenization, like all of those words, right? But but it's true, like putting together a project. Um, one of the ones that I'm uh, about to launch is called Angry Frogs. It's really cool because it's got its own ecosystem and it goes from PFP to um, uh, where you can stake everything and actually do work in their own metaverse. And it's got like different levels. It's like a frog mob, it's mobsters, gangsters. And so there's a whole thing to it. So not to, you know, go specifically onto that. What, what I'm saying is you've got to have longevity. You've got to make it into an entire business and, and not just pump it up. And then, and then what, right. Then what, then the price is going to go down. Your the value is going to go down if you're not doing something consistently.
0: I'm often asked does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes, That nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach so step into your power go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now and now back to our interview if you're using gaming techniques to, to teach um, and to build something not just teach um, what can you be specific what the staking and and what the gaming techniques are in there that how you're using that to help bridge people from not knowing anything about this to being a part of Web3? Well, it's a great question. Um,
1: and I think it has a lot of different answers. Gamification in general is something that we've all used, you know, over time, like with, with every maybe project or business that we've started is it's just using a specific mechanics uh, or set of mechanics for um making it enticing to stay doing something so just like candy crush okay we we forget that there that we've been in the gamification world for a long time what keeps you going is that like rush and and you're like okay yeah I'll buy more things to keep me going in it because um, because it's fun and, you know, I'm getting a, a dopamine rush or whatever the case is. It always goes, goes back to the, you know, psychology of it. So when we talk about NFTs, it, you got to make it, when we stake things, that makes it more valuable. If, if there's not a lot of something and we all want it, it's going to make it more valuable if there's not a lot of stuff. So if you stake your NFT and your token, that just means you let it sit. And that makes things more valuable and it makes it more valuable for everyone else. The gamification is a little bit, you know, it's separate. So really, it's just a matter of making sure people are more interested, you know, continue to be interested in what's happening. They don't just hold on to a pretty picture. They're actually able to do something with it, whether it's an actual like video game style, you know, you go around and you do something or if it's the gamification of like winning something or you know, taking part in an exclusive, you know, event is technically gamifying it. You're you're doing something in order to get, you know, a, a prize at the end. So it's really just a a a psychology of how we how we interact and why we do things, like why we continue to use our money for things or why people buy the a lottery ticket. It's for that like excitement that it could happen. So gamification is, is really just that. It's to get people to stay excited about
0: anything. I think it's so cool. And I know as you're teaching, while you're, while you're giving financial literacy out and trying to guide people into understanding these things so that they can realize some financial independence, I think it's so great that you, you use what works you know, why reinvent the wheel? If gamification is going to keep people engaged and have them partake in something in a small way that feels um, like easier to swallow, you know what I mean? Like a bite size, like that's the perfect way to do it. I mean, I would think that like every project would have some sort of gamification at this point. You would
1: think so. And that's why Um, the ones that's why we keep talking about sustainability, the projects that are going to be successful going forward are the ones that, and be sustainable in this, in this world are the ones that are going to have multiple, um, facets. They're going to have multiple things, not just a, a pretty JPEG. They're, they're going to have all of the things, the gamification, uh, whether it's a decentralized organization and people can vote on certain things. That's not necessarily, um, something that, you know, we should even bring up, but whether or not there's a, um, a, a company behind it, whether there's something that you can solidly say, you know, point to and go, this is this, this thing. It's not just a, you just buy this and hold it and then what? So I hope that answered your question.
0: No, it does. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, it, there's all of these different terms, and, and I feel like I keep popping in and out with them and maybe taking you off the thread of what we're talking about. But I want to make sure that the listeners aren't left not understanding something. Um, staking, you said that's letting it sit. So maybe that's creating a certain level of exclusivity doing that. And is that the same thing as HODL, which is hold on for dear life?
1: So, okay, a couple of things. Um,
0: <laughs> sorry, I have to make no, sure no, that everybody gets educated. <laughs> don't be sorry. I,
1: this is why we, we have these conversations because it, you, you know, wheel me back um, to, to not go over everyone's heads. Staking and, okay, so I have to correct this. So hodling is really just holding um, because somebody wrote in a, I don't know if it was Reddit or something a long time ago, they just spelled hold wrong. So it actually just, it's just hold that somebody spelled wrong. Somebody probably, um, you know, made it be hold on for dear life, but it it, just so everybody knows it's just because somebody spelled the word wrong. And then of course, everybody wanted to be like our own little, uh, you know, exclusive, like inside joke kind of thing. So now it's hodling. So that really just means, you know, I, I'm a holder of Bitcoin. I, I don't, do anything with it it just sits there um and i do dollar cost averaging to it's just a way to to buy I, we don't have to get into the specifics of that but what it means is i just hold it i don't move it i don't take it out i don't you know none of that i just hold on to it with staking it's more of a like investment tool you invest your asset whether that's crypto or an nft you invest it into the project back into it and certain things come about because of it whereas holding is just sitting there it's just it's just that i'm not moving it and i'm not afraid of it you know every all of this stuff is based on emotion um you know if you're holding your cryptocurrency if you're holding your your dollars in your bank that is some trust right there so or or a 401k that's you're just holding that's if you're staking something, you're actually doing something with it, which whether that's the the company or the project behind it is doing something with your staked asset because an NFT is an asset. Whether they're doing something with it or you are, that's it's like something behind it is is happening because of it. it. You're not flipping it. If you flipped it, you are you are realizing a gain and then you are going to the next thing. Whereas if you buy it and then you stake it, you get certain things. You maybe you get extra coins or you get airdropped something, you get something for it. If I hold Bitcoin in my in my ledger wallet, I'm not getting anything from it. I'm just it's just sitting there and I'm not touching it and I'm not losing or, you know, gaining at that specific moment. I hope that helped.
0: It does. It does. Thank you for that. I, I just need to clarify as I go. Um, sure. because I don't want to leave anybody like still with the thought process. From a few minutes ago, I want us to keep. I want them to be in the moment with you. Um, so you're doing a lot of education here on Clubhouse uh, for free, and you have your TikTok, and and you're doing that. And again, it's it's teaching people about financial responsibility and tools for independence and education about new Web three concepts. So I love all of that. Um, my question actually is more about you. I mean, you give a lot and you've created a lot of communities. What are you building, um, for yourself? Like what tools for growth are you using for Brooke?
1: So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that a lot of people, it's sort of this, this quiet, like, what does she even do? Like, <laughs> is she money? like what is this person?
0: And, and I'm going to unravel the mystery right funny. now. <laughs>
1: Bring it. Bring it. I'm like, look, I'm an open book, but if, but I'm not going to offer it up. That's the trick here. So I've learned over the years, I've been self-employed for almost 13 years. So, um, you know, it takes a little while to understand how to, um, get business, you know, like it, it when you have word of mouth and when you put yourself out there, it, it never really occurred to me that this was something that not everyone did. But then when like the Gary Vee stuff happens, like I'm a big fan of his In just in business um, where when you give and you give and you give, and then you ask, you are more likely to get the sale. You're more likely to get the, the whatever it is that you do. So, you know, I've been in tech for a really long time. I spent time in, in corporate America. I ran a very, I was in tech support. I actually loved it. I'm, I'm really, my skill, my, my, star power is that I can bridge the gap between the super technical and the the business or the, you know, layman, I guess. And so that's what I still do now. That's my, um, my skill. And so in corporate America, I got to the very sort of top of the chain uh, as a director of, of support for a very large company. Uh, I was about 150 help desk, person help desk and, you know, did very, very well. Um, but I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. I had a house built all by myself, you know, and I remember sitting in the house being like, this house doesn't hug me back. I'm very, very lonely. (laughs) So at that point was like, I'm done. I am going to start on my own and took a very large pay cut, but haven't looked back and wouldn't change it for the world. I'm probably at this point unemployable because I've been self-employed so long. Um, so I started a computer repair business that was hugely successful um, building computers and repairing them. That was back in 2009 to 2014 or so. And then it just became, it was, just wasn't profitable because computers were built better and there was cloud computing and, you know, all of that. So it was a business decision to, to shut that down. And then I did small business it also very, um, you know, very successful at that. And, um, uh, see, so, yeah, I live in a, in a small town, so it's, it's easy to be a big fish in a small town. <laughs> so, Uh, so that was really successful. And then I just didn't want to have employees anymore. So I just went to having subcontractors and went into web development. And so I still have that agency. And, um, now for the last three or four years, um, before the TikTok thing, I'm really more of a consultant, which is lovely because I, I can go in and, um, I've worked a lot with nonprofits, um, very locally and I go in and I'm sort of a general contractor and say, you can do. Um, you know, you're going to need this and you're going to need this and let's pull in web developers or let's pull in, you know, database creators, um, SQL database creators, whatever. Um, and then even, hey, we need to update all of your computers. So essentially like IT uh, support, but um, but I, I wasn't really doing any of the work. So everything sort of transitioned into that. Um, when I hit, when I started TikTok, it was like, oh my God, I have this huge global reach. Um, might as well start teaching them about this stuff, because it's literally just a, um, you know, it was a a macrocosm of something that I've already been doing. So for the web development stuff, if we go back to that, I would go and do these, um, like free lunch and learns, right. Almost every week I would go and do for free, have these big groups come in and I would teach them about website stuff and it'd be there for two hours. And, you know, it was my sales pitch really, And I got so much business from that. But it was something I really enjoyed teaching people. So when you give of yourself and you teach others, you then get the business. So as opposed to saying, hey, buy my thing and, hey, this is what I do for a living, um, you almost become – you you make yourself an asset by way of – giving out this information but it's tricky you know you can there's a line that's crossed where you can be maybe pushy or you know sales funnel or whatever the the word that that people are getting frustrated with um so i'm a tech consultant and now it has moved into being an nft developer advisor so i have projects that have come to me um two of which last year failed miserably. And um, I spent a lot of my own money trying to get those off the ground. So now I get to go and use that as what not to do. (laughs) That's great, Um, though. Yeah, projects hire me to come in and and either bring in developers or, um, you know, go through the tech with them to find out if what they want to do is actually feasible. Um, And it's, it's consulting.
0: Well, that's amazing. I mean, I think, What's so cool with the lunch and learn is you started from the trust factor, you know, and I think that's, you built up so much trust because you weren't asking for anything. You were just going in and giving them the information that they so badly needed. And so you immediately established trust. So it became like a warm lead. Like you never really had to probably work hard to close that deal like ever. So, so that's pretty cool. And, and now, um, which, which I really love, you're yielding, you know, you're holding up the mic. And I do see you traveling, not just as a consultant, but you are going out to high profile, um, shows, NFT galleries that are in real life. And you are interviewing and sharing stories. And um, you know me, I, I think there's nothing sexier than the woman holding the mic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Same. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, it, it really like was cool to watch some of the stuff that you posted. So I would say maybe that's also what you're learning and doing, you know, is is yeah. how you can transform what you know into supporting nft artists in that space of sharing their inspiration but being able to be just techie enough in that space but not to go over people's heads because you know
1: right and and i'll tell you like my dream would be to have my own show or um you know and i've been approached by a lot of people and I'm like, okay, well show me the offer. And you know, like, where's the studio? I'm not, I don't have the bandwidth to like put together my own show and I'm not going to, (laughs) but if anybody hearing this, you know, is a producer and wants to do that, cool. Like I'm ready, but it's, it's just one of those things that, um, I get to combine my love of travel, my love of networking, my love of party, you know, like going to these cool events and meeting people, um, with, with educating, with education, like you, you just said that, um, at the LA art show that you're referring to, I'm still working on that content because I got like 14 hours worth of content because I just stand there and I have fun with people and, um, you know, interviewing Sabet and Gabe Weiss and all of these really sort of accomplished NFT artists. And, you know, it's going to be entertaining. So it's not necessarily that that's, um, you know, right now my job, it's, that's more of a, um exposure it's kind of the a marketing tool for myself it's still another thing that i go and do um and you know network with people because that's another one of my skills is is meeting people and and becoming um a part of something and bringing that to the rest of the world with social media you know it's it's not Something I woke up one day and said, you know, I think at age 44 I'm going to be a TikTok star. Like nobody, <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> but when you recognize that you have this skill or this, you know, um, this air about you, you—I don't know. Me personally, I feel an obligation then to people to to do all the things and bring it back to whoever wants to witness that. And when it's when I st- stop being entertaining, then I'll stop doing. All this stuff.
0: <laughs> I don't think you'll ever stop being entertaining, Brooke. I think it's awesome. I I think like I get it. Like I I think when you have uh, more of that personality where you're comfortable being out at a live event, holding a microphone and interviewing people. I mean, it takes a certain person to do that. But um, I I love that you're you're using all the different sides of yourself and being able to. Bring your love of art and people and and all of that into it. Like I, maybe three years ago, you never thought that you would be at an art show, you know, being a host for essentially. Right.
1: I think that's part of this. What I've what I've shown to people people is that um, maybe I've just always lived my life that way because I never knew as a kid whether I was going to survive what I was going through or not. And so I've always then lived with the idea that, um, if I don't do this now, I may not ever have the chance kind of thing. So I don't know if it's risk taking or living, you know, like it's your last day or whatever, but, um, just doing the things that make you happy because there's people out there who, who can't, or I, I don't know, whatever perspective you need to have, right. Is like, just do all of the things, see all the people, uh, just gives me chills. Cause like I wish that for for everyone, just go and do the things and and whatever makes you happy because that's what this life is about yeah is, is to be with people, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: you just you know there's so many terms you know, grab the bull by the horns, yeah. just press start, you know, just put yourself out there it's It's hard for some people to do, and I get that, but you know, find find the places where you can be comfortable doing that, right? And um, right. and the the sky is the limit. Not to get too cliche, but it's true. I mean, I, I've I personally put myself out here on on Clubhouse all the time, and it's done some wonderful things for me. Um, more than anything, it has provided me the opportunity to collect good people, really good people. Oh, and, I love that. And and you're one of them, Brooke. So I'm really uh-huh. glad we met here.
1: Me too. Like I said, you're doing all the right things. This is exactly what, um, somebody should be doing. I just uh, recently had a, a Twitter space with Crystal Hefner, um, the VP of the Hefner foundation, that Hefner. Wow. <laughs> and, um, she, you know, has a very large audience obviously. And so she's like, I just want to know all of the stuff. And I said, you got just slow your roll. You'll, you'll learn. You just have to keep asking questions and being curious because, we're still so early.
0: Well, that's a good thing for us who who uh, are just starting to learn because early adoption is the key to uh, yeah. sort of feeling like you're in the game or ahead, <laughs> not after definitely. the fact.
1: Definitely. And you definitely are. I'm just letting you know. Think about the, the world at large and only being part of the like 0.01% of the globe that even knows what an NFT is.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, I, I, I'm sure you probably want to stop this podcast already because we've been on for a while. But uh, just a funny story I I have to share. Um, I went to the Apple Store because um, I have something like forty five thousand pictures on my phone. (laughs) Um, I'm a photographer as much as I'm an artist of jewelry and paint and and so forth. So I wanted an iPad. I wanted to get. Um, the software Procreate on it, so mm-hmm. that I could put some of my pictures on there and and do some making an NFT. So I go in there, Apple Store in Washington DC. Okay, so it's not like I'm I mean it's pretty metropolitan little city. Yeah. And I tell the guy what I want to do. I said, you know, I I need an iPad you know photoshop is is now just did this huge deal um so that they can mint nfts and i and i'm pretty sure that the ipad has some software that i could use and i can learn all this cuz i i want to make nfts on my ipad and the guy looked at me <laughs> completely right in the eyes what's an nft <laughs> i was at the apple right. store we i was like the geek squad at the apple stuff. store right <laughs> <The geek laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, yeah.
1: Like they just—they're not hip to the, the new stuff.
0: <laughs> Damn, this old Gen Xer walked in and knew what an NFT was, but not the not the right. the guy that was uh, standing there with not his too. little iPad.
1: <laughs> and Holly, like, think about that. Like, how few of us there are, female Gen Xers, that have this much knowledge about NFTs. Like. I don't know. Maybe you and I are the only ones. Let's just put it that way. So I'm for
0: hire if anybody heard that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As is Brooke, because we're both okay. entrepreneurs, by the way. Right. And right. and all her links will be in the show notes. See, that was a perfect right. time to shove that in there. Um, oh, yeah.
1: I'm redoing my website because it's uh, – I never think about it. So brookjlacy.com is – does not have everything on there but people know where to find me
0: that's okay as long as they could find you and have a conversation with you the rest is just you know bells and whistles it's being able to talk to a person right and finding out where your synergies are or or what work you're going to do together so right that's awesome Brooke you're amazing I can't thank you enough for coming on my show my culture factor family is so much smarter now from having listened to you
1: Oh, that makes my day! I appreciate you so much. Thank
0: you. Um, I have been
1: asked to do a lot of podcasts, and you are the first one I've said yes to in very in a lot of months. <laughs> well, so, look at that! I feel honored. I think you're just a gem, and I, I wouldn't just say
0: that. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's my pleasure.